Well, how many of you love the Word of God today? Amen. All right, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to begin a series today on purpose. Purpose. Can you say the word purpose with me? I'm going to show you from the Scriptures that you and I are people of purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. I want to call this series Living on Purpose. Let's stand and read the Word of God. And I'm going to read uh, verses 8 and 9. Living on Purpose. And I want to talk to you about God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. Now, Paul's going to share some mind-blowing truth with us right here. What he says, it's difficult to wrap your mind around. But look what he begins with in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now watch, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. You've been called. Not just me, you. We tend to think in our churches that the preacher is the one called and we're just supposed to support him as he's called and does his calling. But my calling is to convince you you're called. Did you know that? Because the Bible says he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So my calling is to convince you that you're called. So can you say with me, I must be called. The Bible just told me I'm called. Say, I don't feel called, <laughs> but I must be called. It's let, let God be true and every man a liar. All right, now he goes on. You're called with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time even began. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will release in this place the great teacher of the, of the church, the Holy Spirit of God. Give everyone a personal revelation of their calling, their calling. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're called. <clears throat> now, I got to tell you that Realizing that God had a purpose for me really changed my life. Uh, many of you know that I got saved in, an, in juvenile detention center when I was 16 years old. I had never heard the gospel. wasn't raised in church. wasn't raised in a church home. But while I was in the juvenile detention center, some Baptists came down there with a guitar and uh, some young people and then a preacher. And uh, he shared the gospel. And for the first time in my life at 16 years old, I heard the story of Jesus. I'd never heard the story of Jesus. Nobody had ever told me that he died for me. Nobody had ever explained to me the crucifixion. I didn't know it. But I heard it. 
And this particular night, something grabbed hold of me. Now I know that it was the Holy Spirit of God and convicted me of sin and convicted me of the reality of what I was hearing. And I came forward that night and I got saved. But now in my limited understanding, I didn't understand anything about destiny, calling, purpose. In my mind, I had just gotten fire insurance. I was going to go in front of a judge about a few things I had done on earth. And I knew he didn't know it all. If he'd known it all, I'd have been really scared. But I realized I was going to one day go in front of a judge who knew everything. And that scared me. And then I believed the message of the love of Christ. And that touched me. And so I was saved. But two years later, after experiencing salvation... I went to a Bible study, and in this Bible study, they were lifting their hands to the Lord. Tears were running down their face. It was in a home, a bunch of long-haired hippie types, druggy types who had just kind of come in off the streets, and people that I, uh, the type of person that I was very well acquainted with, and they had something going on in their life that I wanted. I saw it. I could see it all over their face. Something was on their countenance. Something was on them that I'd never seen. And I prayed that night a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, I'll do anything if you'll give me that. Before the hour was up, I got it. Now, we can mess with semantics, and I could say I got filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, that I got zapped. We can call it a lot of different things. All I can tell you is I was standing there and a power touched me. And I began to experience the indescribable love of God. It began to be poured out on my heart like liquid waves of love over and over again where I was overwhelmed. I broke away from the group. I went outside in the front yard in in South Dallas Uh, just on some neighborhood street. And I began to cry and I began to laugh and I began to experience an incredible uh, touch from the Holy Spirit of the living God. I mean, it totally transformed me. I could not believe the whole world did not know about what I was experiencing. It really blew me away. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is more real than anything in this room. The Holy Spirit is more real than the chair you're sitting in. The Holy Spirit is such a powerful person. I'm not going to call him a force because it's not a force. He is a personality. He is God the Spirit. And he touched me. And it didn't stop there. I went home. I learned how to play guitar just so I could sing. God is so good. Kumbaya. And he is Lord. And I played those songs over and over again in my little efficiency apartment just between me and the Lord. And he did something in my heart that totally revolutionized me. And one night I was at another Bible study and it was just a bunch of us uh, young people packed into a living room, about a hundred of us. And we had a guy leading the Bible study, just playing a guitar, leading some songs. And then he would sit on a little round stool and he would teach. And this particular night, I was sitting to his right, and he quoted a verse. 
And there was something that happened to me when he quoted this verse. It was just a Bible verse. Had, it was out of the Song of Solomon of all places. And it was talking about the return of the bridegroom. But it was something about the moment. It was a defining moment. You know, we all need defining moments with God. God brings to us defining moments. When they happen, you're never the same again. You never forget it. It leaves an imprint on your soul, a footprint in your life of God moving in your life. And this verse just seemed to have wings and it winged its way into my heart and I suddenly began to experience something totally supernatural and it was this desire, this burning desire, this passion to teach and preach and speak and declare the word of God. I can't tell you where it came from because I had horrible stage fright. If you had asked me to be God and you lined up a hundred people and you were going to choose one out of the hundred to preach, I would have been number 100 because I was terrified of speaking in front of people. I'd had terrible experiences in the past speaking in front of people in school and stuff. If you stood me up in front of two or three or more people, my eyes would begin to twitch. My lips would begin to quiver. I would turn red in the face. I got embarrassed and I would usually forget what I needed to say and I'd sit down a total failure at public speaking. So what was God doing moving on me to preach and declare his word? Well, it says not many mighty, not many noble are called, not many who's who's, but God reaches down into the pool of mankind and he raises people up according to his will. There is no explaining his selection. There is no explaining his mysterious ways. He just does what he wants to do when he wants to do it because he's God. And so here I was, amen. So here I was with this this growing desire to minister the word of God. And I had a civil war going on in the inside. Because the passion the Holy Ghost was giving me to do it uh, was in conflict with my fear. But you know, when God decides to do something in your life, he will eventually destroy the power of fear. He will destroy the power of doubt. And he will do with you what he has decided to do with you. And so finally, I began to minister the word. First a little bitty groups and then bigger and bigger groups. And I noticed that when God gives you a purpose, he gives you a passion that causes you to pursue that purpose. God's will is followed with passion. God gives passion. He gives desire. God will move on you with a desire to do his will. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? See, I think one of the clear signals of what God's will is for your life is what he gives you a desire to do. What is it that you like to do when it comes to the things of God? Do you like to pray? Do you like to share with people? Do you like to help people? Watch your desires because where your desires go once you have sanctified your life to God is a clear signal of God's will for your life. But I say all that to say that God, when I realized that God had a purpose for me, that I was not the result of some impartial evolutionary process, which I was taught in school. I was taught that we were all descendants 
of some amoeba that crawled out of an ancient sea and grew legs and finally stood up and began to walk and talk and eventually became a human being. That means there's no, there's no destiny, there's no purpose, there's no, there's no divine will for you. You're just a mistake. You're just the result of an impartial process. And that's why I hate evolution and I believe it's one of the greatest lies ever perpetrated on mankind because David did not say I'm fearfully and wonderfully evolved. He said I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I have been made. And there is, there is such a fulfillment in, in doing what God has anointed you to do. And I'm here today to tell you, you have been called. God's got a purpose for you. I'm not the only one with a purpose in here or a calling in here. I look forward to seeing a lot of you released into ministry. I look forward to seeing a lot of you find who you are in him and go flow in it and get in it. Because that's the only thing that makes life worth living. It's the only thing that makes life worthwhile. When you get into the call of God for your life and you begin to function, the way God custom designed you to function. You've got a call. You've got a purpose. Now, I got to tell you some things in these verses that I read are just mind blowers. In the next few weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you on living on purpose. And I'm going to look at three aspects of purpose. God's plan for you, God's preparation for you, and God's timing for you. God's got a plan for you a preparation for you and a timing for your life. He's got a timing for every purpose in your life. God's got a timing. Now, in our text today, we find Paul telling us that we have been saved by grace and called for a purpose. We were saved by grace. He decided to save you, so he did. And you've been called once you're saved for a purpose. And this purpose was given to us before time began. Say, so, well, Pastor Jeff, what do you mean by that? Listen very carefully. Put on your thinking caps. We're going to take a little journey now into the greatness, the vastness of God. Before the beginning of all that now exists, the galaxies, universe, the planets, everything material before Genesis 1-1 took place. In the endless ages of eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit held a conference among themselves. Powerful stuff. And so the eternal Godhead held this conference, and what did they talk about in this conference? They talked about the creation of man, the fall of man, and the redemption of man. Now, you can't get away from the fact that God knew man was going to fall before he created man, or these verses we just read could not be true. God knew man was going to fall. Don't ask me to explain that or why he went ahead with it, because I can't answer that. God only can answer that. But I can tell you from what the Word of God tells me that God knew about man and his fall before he created him. So man's creation, his fall, and his redemption were discussed in this meeting held by the Godhead. It was decided in that meeting that God the Son would become a human being wrapping deity in skin and would die for the sins of humanity 
It was decided then. That's why John was able to write, John the Revelator in Revelation 13 verse 8, that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before God made the world, the lamb was slain in the mind of God. It was done. Now you say, well, how can this be true? How can that be true? It can only be true if God is truly God because God truly being God knows the end from the beginning. Now listen carefully to me. Here's how it can be true. Here's how the lamb can be slain before the foundation of the world and here's how God could see you and you and you and you and you. He saw you in Christ before the foundation of the world. God being God does not operate in the parameters and restrictions of time. God being God is not subject to the parameters and restrictions of time. To John the Revelator, the lamb had been slain a a few decades earlier. In 33 AD on Mount Calvary. But in God's mind, the lamb was slain the moment the Godhead purposed it to be so. Which was before Genesis 1-1. When in this conference they spoke to each other and said, man's going to fall, how will he be redeemed? I will go, said the son, and I will die for him. And when he said that, it was decreed, and in God's mind it was done. He doesn't need time to catch up with his decreed will to say that a thing is done. You see, you and I, we live within the parameters and restrictions of time. We must walk through the beginning of a thing, its maturity, and its end. Everything in our life has a beginning, a length of time that it exists, and then an end. Being locked in time, we are subject to beginnings and endings, life and death, starting and finishing. You had a beginning. You'll have a life. You'll have an end. Everything around us is the same way, but not God. God sees the end of a thing before it begins. I'm going to say that again. God sees the end of something before its beginning begins. Before something materializes, he tells you that it's coming. This is why I know the Bible is the word of God, study prophecy. Centuries before something would take place, God would say, here is what's coming. And it would not look at all like that was ever going to happen. And then time and circumstances and people and nations line up according to what God said was going to materialize. And that's prophecy. And when you study Bible prophecy, every one of them that has come to pass has come to pass with 100% accuracy. And only God can do that. So that's what prophecy is. God knows the end from the beginning. And he says, here's what's coming. And it comes. Listen to Isaiah 42 verse 9. New things I declare. I will tell you the future before it happens, says the Lord. We've got to wait for an event to go through the process of time before knowing how it will end. But not God. God doesn't have to wait for anything. God knows how the end will end before the beginning even begins. That's why I tell you, God never says, well, I'll be. And he never says, oops. God knows which runner will break the finish tape before they leave the starting gate. Listen to what he says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 
And here's how you know I'm God. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. So when I look at Bible prophecy and I see the way it's come to pass with 100% accuracy, just the things concerning Jesus Christ alone are unbelievable and uncanny and totally God, then I know that when God said he's going to come back and he's going to wrap this world up and time will have an end and this world will have an end and Jesus Christ is going to step onto the stage of history and wrap the whole thing up like a scroll. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. It's going to cleave in half and he's going to rule the world with a scepter of righteousness and power. The lion will lay down with the lamb and the, the swords and the weapons of war will be broken into plowshares and we will know war no longer. The greatest peace maker of all time. Jesus Christ is coming back. How do I know he's coming back? Because God said he would and God has already declared the end from the beginning. Now, this God who knows the end of something before it even begins, who is standing at your arrival before you even depart, conceived of and decided upon our salvation declared we would be saved by the blood of his only son, the Lamb of God, he decides and decreed all these things before the foundation of the world. God has a plan. And God has you in his plan. This is how David was able to say, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. So what you're going to do today, God saw it before you even breathed your first breath. We're talking about Almighty God here today, church. Almighty God. There's only one. There's only one Almighty God. There is one God and there is no other. And one of the great aspects of this God is His omnipresence, His omniscience, and His omnipotence. He knows everything. He has all power and He's everywhere at once. He is so high above anything else in our galaxy. He is Almighty God. The devil's not omnipotent and the devil is not omnipotent and the devil is not omnipresent but God is he knows what you're going to say before you say it what you're thinking before you're thinking where you're going before you go he knows the end from the beginning and he's got your life mapped out scheduled and you are right on time now this God who knows the end from the beginning and knows the end before a beginning begins, has decided that Jesus, the Son, would die for your sins. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 1.11. As part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen from the beginning to be His. And all things happen just as He decided long ago. So I know it's hard to think about, hard to imagine, but just try that before God said, let there be light, before he flung the stars into space, and as the poet wrote, before he spat out the oceans, this God saw you. He knew the day you'd be saved. When you walked through the door of salvation, he knew you were coming all the time. The door of salvation is marked whosoever will. And if you're a whosoever and you will, and you walk through it, and you shut it, on the other side of the door it says, I knew you were coming, 
all the time. That's the kind of God we have. Now, it says that God had a plan for us way back when it was decided Jesus would die for our sins. Well, what is that plan? What is that purpose? I want to know because it's telling me he knew something about me and purposed something for me before the world began. Oh, I want to know what his plan is. You know how you find out what God's plan is for you? You seek the planner. You, you seek the architect. You seek the builder. You seek the one who made you. The answer to why you're here and what you're supposed to do is found in Jesus Christ. Now listen to Ephesians 1.11. This is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament to me. Ephesians 1.11 says, It is in Jesus Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It is in Jesus Christ I find out who I am and what I'm living for. Have you ever wondered why you're here? Have you ever wondered why God put you on this planet? Have you ever had difficulty trying to find your niche? Have you wondered really what you're all about? I'm going to tell you what I did without knowing I was doing the right thing. I sought Jesus. I focused on him. And as I did, I began to understand who I was and why I was here. And once you answer that question, you understand your purpose. And if you understand your purpose, you're miles ahead of most people. Because most people learn how, but they don't know why. And when you know why, you have found your purpose. And it is not found staring in the mirror. It is not found asking other people. It is found seeking Jesus who made you and you will find out who you are and why you're here when you seek the Lord. I live and I move and I have my being in him. He made you. So I want to share with you a few general purposes for the body of Christ and next week I want to share with you about your individual calling. Don't miss next week your individual calling. But right now today, just a few of the purposes that the Bible tells us God decided before the world began about you and me. The first one is all found in Ephesians chapter 1, all these things. You ought to read Ephesians 1. It is so powerful. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells me that his purpose for me and you is that we would be whole and holy. Can you say with me? Whole and holy. Listen to what he says. Quote, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. To me, that's a hallmark postcard. I'd like to write a, do a hallmark postcard and send it to everybody in the world. He had you in his mind. You were on God's mind. He was thinking about you, pondering you, considering you, planning for you, looking out for you, guiding you, directing your steps. You were on God's mind. The devil's a liar. He tells you, God doesn't want to fool with you anymore. You've made too many mistakes. He's not answering your prayers and he's not thinking about you. 
But the Bible says otherwise. You were on his mind when he wasn't on your mind. He died for your sins when you were cursing him. When you weren't giving him a thought any given day, he was giving all of his thoughts towards you. He's tattooed you on the palm of his hand. It says in Isaiah, he's inscribed your name in the hollow of his hand. You were on and are on and will always be on God's mind. And he says... Listen to this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Now I want you to notice this, that Paul is telling us that the love of God makes you whole. The love of God makes you whole. When you receive, and what kind of love does God have for us? Well, he loves you in spite of. He loves you no matter what. He loves you anyway. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you. And when I receive that love, he says, it makes me whole. It does something to the inside of me. You know, the whole world can walk out on you, but God never will. When the whole world walks out, God walks in. He is always with you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. No matter what you do, where you go, what mistakes you make, what sins you commit, his heart is always yearning for you, seeking you, longing for you, calling you, working on you. God never gives up on you because he loves you. And when I know that, it has a way of making me whole. Amen. How many of you have realized that the love of people falls short most of the time? Amen? Even somebody that really loves you, they still fall short some of the time, but not God. And his love makes me whole. It has a way of just making me whole. I can wake up any given morning and say, I'm loved. Well, who are you loved by? I'm loved by God. And that makes me whole. That gives me value. Now, Paul said the second thing, Ephesians 1, 5, not just whole and holy, He purposed those before the foundation of the world, but that we would be adopted into his family. Listen to this verse. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, when I got saved, in my mind, I just, like I said, got fire insurance. Well, praise God, now I know I'm going to heaven someday, but I had no understanding of what had just happened to me. But you see, God did more than save me from hell and guarantee that I'm going to heaven. God adopted me. God said, now you're going to be a part of my family. I'm going to make you a part of my family. And so guess what? You've got Jewish blood flowing in your spiritual veins, like it or not, because salvation is of the Jew. And Jesus was a Jew. That's why you better not be anti-Semitic because if you're anti-Semitic, you're not going to like Jesus either because you got saved by a carpenter from Nazareth who happened to be olive-skinned and Jewish. Come on, everybody. 
And when he saved you, when you said, forgive me, Lord, and come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord, he puts you in the family bloodline. Now you've got spiritually Jewish blood flowing in your veins. He put in you the family spirit, which is the Holy Ghost. He gave you the family resemblance. When he gave you the born-again experience and you took on the nature of Christ, he said, welcome, son, and welcome, daughter. You took on the family business, which is to reach out and save souls, win souls to Jesus. Jesus and love people. We were brought into the family business. That means what he cares about, we ought to care about. What he's burdened about, we ought to be burdened about because we're in the family now. You got to love one another. You may not like everybody that's in this room, but you got to love them because when the trumpet blows, they're going up right there with you. And we're going to have family. And the black folks are going to be there. The white folks are going to be there. The red, the yellow, the brown skin. God died on the cross for every human being. You stick any human being with a pen and they bleed red. So praise God, not just saved but adopted. Whereby we look up and we cry, Abba, Father. He's my Father. I've been adopted into his family. I'm a child of God. Look at your neighbor and tell him, welcome, sibling. (laughs) Now, I see another thing in Ephesians chapter 1, that our lives on earth, this was his purpose before time began, that our lives on earth would glorify him that we would live glorious living. That is, God-glorifying lives. Listen to what he says. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living that we might be for the praise of his glory. Do you know why you're here today? Why God's left you on the planet? He's left you on the planet to live a life that'll glorify him. You know, I was thinking about this and I was looking at the moon the other night, full moon. I mean, coming in through our shutters, just so bright, you didn't need a light to walk outside. And I thought that moon would be totally invisible. It would be lost in the darkness of space if it were not receiving the rays of the sun. All you're seeing when you look at that moon is the reflection of sunlight. If it were not reflecting sunlight, you would see no moon. Now, the Bible says he made the things we can see to teach us about things we cannot see. I believe God chiseled out that smiling face on the moon, and he allowed the moon to capture the sun rays, to give us an idea of why believers are here. You know what you are? You're a reflector. You are a reflector of the glory glory of God. And he wants you to reflect S-O-N, light. You are a sun reflector. Just like the moon smiles down on mankind every night, especially when it's full, and it's doing so by the reflection of the sun, God's greatest billboard is your face. And he
he has touched you. That's why Moses went up into the mountain and it says as he was with God, God appeared to him. He spent time with God. God gave him the Ten Commandments and when he came down from the mountain, he was carrying the reflection of the sun. His face was glowing in the dark. They had to put a veil over his face because they couldn't look at the glory that was on Moses' face from spending time with God. And But then the Bible makes a point of letting us know that that glow, that glory faded with time so that God would let us know the old covenant is a fading covenant, but the new covenant is going to be forever. So the path of the just is like the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. What have you been called to do before the foundation of the world? Spend time with the sun. And then when you've spent time with the sun, go glow. I, I, you know, I, I take a, a walk every day with my little dogs, and I came in the other day. Well, Kathy came to kiss me good, good night, and she looked down at me, and she said, man, you got some sun today. And that just reverberated in my spirit because you see the Christian's calling is to get with the sun every day where people look at you and say, hey, you got some sun today. I see that you got some sun today because your face is glowing. I see the presence of the lamb on your face. I see the peace in your eyes. I see the smile on your face. I see that you have been, is anybody hearing me today? Come on now. See, our calling is to get with him every day. And if you get with him every day, it's going to show. I said, if you get with Jesus every day, it's going to show. You got some sunlight. And, you know, we go out in the sun, we get suntanned. Sometimes we get sunburned. We're supposed to get sunned every day, get sunlight from the Lamb of God. How do you get it? Well, when you open up this word and you begin to read this word, you get some sunlight. When you worship God, you get some sunlight. When you get with other believers, and share the things of God. You get some sunlight. You ought to leave church with some sunlight on you. You ought to walk into the nearest restaurant and have them say, why are you glowing like you are? Well, because we were just in the presence of the sun. I got some sun today. Come on, everybody. You see, a lot of us walk around how things going? Oh, the devil's after me. Oh, he's just beating me up. Pray for me, brother. Let me tell you something. The key to this life is to get with the sun. I read recently a story from a missionary. He had gone to another country, and this particular tribe had had a very, very popular chief who had ruled them well, and he died. This tribe, just brokenhearted, said, we want another one just like him. And we'll look and look until we find him. And so that we don't forget our leader, they chiseled his likeness into the side of a cliff. And they went on the search. And they looked and they looked and they could not find anyone like this particular leader. Until finally, a couple of years later, they encountered a young man whose house just happened to be near the foot of this cliff. And he looked like him. And they said, how do you look so much like our leader who died? And he said, every day that I've plowed the field, 
I've looked at his likeness on the side of the cliff. Every night when I go home, I've looked at his likeness on the side of the cliff. I've thought about him and the things I've heard about him. And I guess looking at him so much and thinking about him so much, I started looking like him, walking like him, thinking like him. Being like Jesus is not something you've got to make happen. You don't groan and push and force and try to make yourself be like him. No, you spend time with him. And that's the call of God on you and me. The same way that young man began to look like that leader is the way we begin to look like Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says. But we all, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. So looking unto Jesus daily as I open his word. Oh, and I see the way he healed people. I read the red. I see how he loved, had compassion, had mercy, cast devils out of tormented people, had no fear, walked on the water, commanded the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him, fed the multitudes who had followed him, I catch sun. Have you been sunburned lately? How much sun have you caught? You can catch sun anytime you want. The sun's always shining when you open the Word. He's always there. How bad do you want to be like Him? Well, expose yourself to Him. Open up the Bible. Worship Him. I can tell when I need some sunlight. I get irritable. I get short-tempered. I don't feel good. Lose my peace. I say, ah, I need some sunshine. <laughs> Bag and raise. And, and I just, I meditate on Him. How are you transformed by in your mind, by the renewing of your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you're renewed when you take sunlight, Jesus. I'm just drawing a picture here. You can tell how much people are with him and not with him. Some of you, the only sun you ever get, Sunday. You misinterpreted the name of the week. Constantine gave us Sunday. No, every day is Sunday. Every day, every day. And so, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image, the same image from glory to glory. And this is the purpose of God before the world began. Wow. So, let's stand together, can we? And say with me, His love is to make me whole and holy. I'm adopted 
I'm to live to the praise of his glory and I'm to be like Jesus. For from the very beginning, God decided those who came to him should become like his son. Well, Lord, we thank you today for the sunlight that's here. And we will all be affected by what we have been in today. Now, Lord, help us to get with God ourselves every day. Spend time with you every day. Focus our faith on you every day. And we pray you'll help us, Lord, in all of our stumblings and mishaps, all the times we fall short. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us and carrying us on. In Jesus' name, now bow with me for a moment of prayer. And I want you to take what you've just heard and ask yourself this question. Am I walking in my purpose? Or has the enemy attacked my purpose to keep me from sunlight, to keep me from the influence of Christ? Have I been under attack? If you have, you can today turn it. Say, Lord, forgive me, and I'm going to get back on track today so that I can be changed. With our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, that's me. I have been under attack, and I know there's been a satanic assignment against my life to get me out of the sun, to get me out of the things of God so that I don't become like him and I don't walk in my purpose. And I want to see it end today. And I want to get on track. Can you raise your hand right where you are? God bless you and you, many. If your hand is raised, I want you quickly to come down to the front right now. I'm going to lay hands on you, and I believe that God is going to do something right here today as we pray. Come quickly. Don't hesitate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, turn it. 